0: I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in, and welcome to our tribe. Hey, Solar Warriors, welcome back to another Tactical Tuesday. It's a new year, and uh, while we're headlong into 2023, I want to take a quick look back at 2022, more specifically, in the end of the year, right before Christmas, we wrapped the year with our... Quarterly Cling Tech Podcasters Roundtable, my colleague and compatriot Mike Casey over at TigerCom and I put together this gathering of the industry's leading podcasters to talk about what trends we're seeing, where we see the year going, things that excite us, the things that scare us. We brought into view a few kind of new ideas from Mike as a moderator, and we were joined by some of our favorite podcasters. The quarterly podcasters roundtable is always a great conversation with folks that are truly on the front lines. One notable new entrant to our lineup for the Q4 roundtable was Mr. John Belazare, who is, apart from being the CEO of Saluna, also a podcaster because Saluna has their own podcast. You'll hear more about that in a few moments when he gets introduced. But I want to say thank you for tuning in. Thanks for listening to us. If you like getting more content like this, how to help you thrive, grow, get inspired and grow your income as you join the clean energy revolution, you're in the right place. Appreciate you giving us an opportunity to earn your attention and your time. It's the only non-renewable resource you've got. We don't take it for granted. You can listen to more Cleantech founders stories just like this over at mysuncast.com. More than 560 episodes published now, 561 in fact, with this one that you're about to hear. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful podcast, A Tactical Tuesday, the quarter four of 2022 annual roundup of our Cleantech Podcasters. Here we go. Welcome everyone to this final quarterly Cleantech Podcasters roundtable of 2022. Here is our host. Mike Casey.
1: Hey, Cleantechers. We are back with our seventh quarterly Cleantech Podcasts Roundtable for our end-of-the-year wrap-up. We're going to be talking on topics ranging from the big market trends to how Cleantech did in recent elections. We have um, a very happy new addition to the lineup here. we got John Belizear and um, and Julia Piper, who has uh, broken all of our hearts and letting us know she's exiting stage left temporarily from the from the podcasting world so we're going to have to give her some grief about that but uh it's all right well we'll let her ride off in the sunset just a little bit and we're going to go right back and find her all right so i want to big thanks to um my buddy nico johnson to suncast media for uh, co-hosting this and i just want to make sure we just do a round robin introduce ourselves here uh, tim let me start with you
2: hi i'm tim Montague. it's great to be back and i host the weekly actually bi-weekly well, I don't know, two shows a week, however you say that, clean power, we bringing you the latest in wind, solar, and energy storage news. Josh Porter.
1: Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Josh Porter with the Solar Coaster in Maui, Hawaii, and uh, we're a podcast,
0: have been a radio show in the past, working on short films for uh, clean tech, deploying the tech here in, in Maui and testing it out, running it through through its paces and uh looking forward to co-producing re plus hawaii pack rim this year all right
3: john bell is here welcome (laughs) welcome thank you so much for having me on the show this is fantastic i am john bell ceo of saluna computing we host a podcast called clean integration where we talk to all sorts of people clean tech doing innovative
0: things to help the grid integrate more renewable energy all right mr johnson And My name is Nico Johnson. I run a podcast called Suncast. Our episode 551, I think, was Mr. John Belazaire, And uh, we love convening those in our clean energy tribe on the clean energy revolution. I like to say that we have created the definitive career guide for the clean energy revolution. And it's my honor to co-host and co-produce this with my good buddy, Mike Casey. So Mike, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself?
1: Um, well, we have, we have one more after introduce, but uh, Tim, would you let Ms. Piper know that I'm no longer speaking to
0: her because she decided to get off the podcast? I thought we had skipped her because she's not a podcaster anymore.
1: That's ah. yeah. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> I just, you, guys? Uh, my, my, would you let Piper know she can she can introduce herself now? But you know, we're going to get the hook out and pull her out because none of us cleared her leaving podcasting, so we're a little <laughs> a little mad. are just going to let the audience yeah. see we're a little mad right now. Family feud, but go ahead. Uh, So she who shall not be named, will she please name herself?
4: (laughs) Well, thank you, Mike. I know we're not talking, but I'm taking that as a compliment in a way. Um, You're right. We did put a pause on the podcast I host and produce, uh, Political Climate. We've been doing it for the past five years been longer when you count that we started it as a Facebook live video, which we lovingly called the hostage video because me and my two co hosts were jammed in a tiny screen looking like we were, you know, begging for our lives. It just was not good production, I will admit. Um, but, you know, it's been a great five years and we've had an honor to be supported by the University of Southern California Schwarzenegger Institute. So, really want to thank them and I hope. Mike Casey gets over his, um, you know, feelings about this and invites me back on this clean tech podcaster uh, discussion because I hope to still maintain a podcaster at heart and continue to work on clean energy issues in my day job at GoodLeap, where we finance clean energy solutions. So, great to be back with you all. Yes. Yay! All right!
1: Wow,
2: you are brutal like, today. Piper, Look at the tiger Piper, coming out. We're
1: coming, Piper. We're coming from a place of love. You just gotta. It just it's like just getting harassed, like having like you know a bunch of big brothers are just kind of like giving you harass, right? All right, all right, folks. Well, tell all my uh, listeners
4: to go follow your podcast. Come on, win win.
2: <laughs> yeah. All right, go. Johnson going He has a podcast. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs>
0: If I could recommend one episode, it would be John's episode. All right. <laughs> two, <laughs> episodes, right.
1: two episodes because it was so good. Oh, that's right. Like good part. Part. that's right. It was a
0: two-part. That's
1: right. I host Scaling Clean, podcast for clean economy, CEOs, investors, the people who advise them. All right. We're going to start with our standard question here, which is um, three big trends you're you're, you're uh, tracking and why are you tracking them? Josh Porter, we're we'll going to start with you, but you are limited to 45 seconds, my friend. Senator Porter, go ahead. All right. We're having tech problems here. Tim Montague, three big trends.
2: And why are they big? Well, it sure seems to me like offshore wind is really popping in the U.S. We saw 1.4 gigawatts of lease sales in the Pacific Ocean off the coast of California. That's enough wind power to power 1.5 million homes. And the... The sad irony of this is we've had the tech for many, many years. We're just getting busy deploying it and starting the takeoff. We're down here in the clean energy transition. We're starting to go vertical. And, and now offshore is, is a good bellwether for that. You know, the Europeans have been into this for over a decade. And I like to say, if you want to see the future, go to Europe because they're already there. You know, Norway now has 90% electrification of their transportation with new vehicle sales. The other trend uh, that I'm, th- this is a negative trend for me. Is is a lot of talk about some technologies that I really don't think have legs. Um, and, and I'm going to put these together, which is not right. But one is fusion. Okay, fusion was all over the news. Uh, s- some some work at MIT, and um, you know, as Elon Musk likes to say, that technology will get figured out eventually. The sun does it every day for free. And we will figure it out, but it's not going to be cost competitive with solar, wind, and battery storage. So, don't get don't get too excited about fusion. Um, get anti nuclear while we're at it, because SMRs are also in the news. Small modular reactors, and and my dear friend Jigger Shah is is one of the one of the uh, promoters of this technology. And I think it's a bunch of hooey. Uh, I think SMRs are old technology in new clothes and That emperor has no clothes. I live in the most nuclearized state here in the state of Illinois, and we still haven't figured out what to do with the waste and how to prevent these very complicated machines from breaking and causing harm to humans and the environment. So those are my three trends uh, for Q4.
1: Everybody watched uh, Tim Montague's LinkedIn page for about ten thousand nuclear bros just blowing up his uh, his page fast. with with hate with hate comments. All right, well, you you attention. coached
2: me, Mike, to be more controversial, so that's that's where I'm going. I'm going anti nuke on you.
1: You didn't need any help on that one, my friend. All right, she who shall not be named. Your three trends and why are they big?
4: All right. Um, So here's what I got. Um, I think there'll be more leveraging of distributed energy resources in new and unique ways. We all just saw the decision in California on net energy metering. We're moving to a world where batteries are going to be critical. Unfortunately, there is not really the battery supply available right now due to a number of macro reasons. But nonetheless, with higher on and off peak rates, you're going to see people shift their load with not only solar, but storage and then bringing in those EVs, maybe heat pumps. So I think that's going to be a whole new uh, trend uh, in, in the U.S. going forward, not just from California, but other rate making decisions. Uh, In addition, I think uh, domestic manufacturing of clean energy is a big trend. Just since the Inflation Reduction Act passed the big historic clean energy bill, there's been $40 billion of new clean energy investments announced. And among those, there are 12 solar manufacturing facilities representing more than a 300% increase in solar module manufacturing capacity in the U.S., And those are just announcements in recent months since IRA was signed into law. So I think we're going to see a whole new era of U.S. domestic manufacturing and solar and other areas. The third trend is sort of on the negative side. It's the Uh, trends around ESG investing. We've seen some states like Texas and Florida push back on the investment community's move to have more ESG uh, profiles, and that includes environmental products and services in addition to others. Um, What's going to be interesting to see is where the investment community goes. Is that pressure enough for them to back off? Do they actually look at their portfolio and say, actually, the New York State Pension Fund is much bigger than anything Florida's investing in publicly, and thus it's still in our best interest to have an ESG aggressive portfolio that kind of aligns with some of those liberal states that are continuing to lean into ESG issues. So I think that'll be an ongoing flashpoint in our sector writ large and in the political sphere as well.
3: Agreed. Mr. Bell is here. Three big trends and what makes them big? All right. Well, the biggest win in 2022, obviously, was the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, $370 billion investment in clean energy development, EVs, homes, and more. I think that's huge. I think it's probably the biggest step we've seen towards clean energy in a very long time. And so I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out in 2023. I think that's going to deploy capital in a host of new uh, innovations. When you combine it with the CHIPS Act, you know, you're know you going to see a lot of research in uh, clean energy innovation, and I'm just excited to see what that will turn into in terms of new products and services and ideas to help us uh, bring more green electrons to the grid. The other is just you know certain provisions within the bill focused on um, you know growth of solar, growth of wind. This 130 gigawatts of solar and 30 gigawatts of wind constructed annually from now through 2020 uh, 2035 is sort of what the what the um, Bill is projecting, and so that could mean a tremendous amount of renewable energy power coming online. Um, That's going to be interesting to see what that does with interconnection queues, uh, curtailment, congestion, all of those types of challenges that the grid experiences when there's more of these generation facilities built. The other trend is uh, batchable computing, including Bitcoin mining and its integration with uh, renewable projects. You know, we're seeing an increasing integration of data centers that uh, can be paused, that are flexible, uh, interconnecting to the grid. We saw a lot of that in 2022. I think we're going to see more uh, in the coming year. And that type of computing provides flexibility, provides flexible load to the grid, and it, it needs that right now. It's going to be more uh, given the momentum that's driven by the grid. And we hosted a number of conversations on our podcast uh, with folks on the policy front, utilities, and the Bitcoin side, trying to understand what this all means. Uh, and then the last is uh, AI and big data uh, on the grid. And, uh, you know, AI and data science uh, were at the forefront of many of our conversations uh, this year. We were sort of looking at different technologies that could improve grid efficiency and uh, Uh, resiliency by collecting information about what's happening on the grid and then using that to enhance the grid. You know, this is something I think we can look forward to increasing in 2023 and beyond and getting the information we need to make the grid better and having that information be accurate and accessible is going to be a big driver. Have you guys on this pod uh, session here? tried chat GPT. Kind oh yeah! Of, you know, yeah. We,
2: we
1: just raised it here at a staff meeting like an hour before it was like we got to get on it so have you
3: guys have you guys to... been reading my linkedin posts everything that i just said was written by chat gpt just kidding
4: <laughs> uh, it would not surprise that me if mean?
3: I could actually do that um art is another one you know i've been like you know producing a little art and you know from these things and putting them in my blog this is all oh. stuff that is showing you the advancements that AI has taken. And that's going to be a major play a major role in how the grid, uh, evolves going forward.
4: And who our overlords will be. I'm kidding. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Exactly.
4: All right. Nico Johnson.
0: Uh, man, I have to follow follow formerly podcast extraordinaire and, uh, and, and John, this is amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. Sorry, Julie. Julia, we keep giving you a hard time about it. I she so can take it. She can she take it. She, she gave a
1: hard time for like the last three years. A bunch of people. We can give her a hard time for like yeah, yeah. Girl, yeah.
3: She, the 30s for thirty fine. minutes. Here we go. No, you know how for instance, you know, it was like the artist formerly known
0: as. Yeah. That's right. That's that's amazing. I love
4: that. formerly known as
3: formerly known as Julia Piper. All make right, designer, design make a symbol for you. you wear right.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I've been watching the um the the ai and ml engines as well john and we've tested a few in fact uh it'd be interesting to know if anyone could pick out the posts that we've made on twitter and linkedin that were 99 chat gpt i bet you can't um it's remarkable um the that then i was standing uh, i have an interesting take on sort of the the trends of the year like biggest things that i've noticed this year <laughs> and i kind of look at it through the lens of a podcaster where um unlike everyone else on the uh on the stage, I sort of well josh to a, to an extent, I sort of do this full time, so most of my inbox is with who am I having conversations with, where are they coming from? and by and large, in a remarkable volume in terms of overall percentage of inbound traffic asking to be on the podcast, do you know what the number one sector or vertical was of CEOs of new development platforms oil and gas. Um, Nope, not oil and gas, Thermal. community solar. <laughs> so uh, Tim, Tim's smiling because it seems like everywhere you turn right now, everybody is developing community solar. I think that the story of the year for 2022 uh, is not community solar, but the, the the story for 2023 just might be that every new developer has community <laughs> solar as, um, as a focus or a sector or they've got a Greenfield team on it. Um, a big reason is because it's simply more profitable. <laughs> it, is, uh, it, is, it has higher margins. It's a great vertical. It actually helps with diversifying uh, the access to clean electricity. And uh, I think it's an untold story by and large in the media. And I believe that we're going to see a lot more focus on community solar. I'll be at the Community Solar Summit in January in um, San Diego, um, sort of testing the water's there to see kind of what that what these um, vertical specific uh, uh, meetings can generate in terms of interest and volume and people there. Um, but I was really surprised at the number of community solar developers that I saw. It's like I use the term coming out of the woodwork, but it's a lot of folks that we all know who are developing uh, and they've been developing the same five to twenty megawatt projects. They just now call them community solar projects because that's a much more profitable vertical to sell into. Right. The second story. And I, I got to say, it actually surprised me uh, as I, I interviewed um, I interviewed Michelle Davis from WoodMac last week when the new Solar Market Insights report came out. And I was floored at uh, the growth of the residential sector in the U.S. this year. I mean, nobody on this stage would know better than Julia the numbers on this, but California alone had a record quarter, which meant the U.S. had a record quarter. But California alone installed 500 megawatts of solar in Q4, Q3, sorry Q3, which is staggering. And it's yes, because a lot of folks are trying to get in ahead of NIMP 3.0, which itself is a sub-subtitled uh, story of the year. And uh, but also 1.5 gigawatts installed for the quarter is a massive, staggering. It's the only growth. Sector in the industry. Everything else is down. CNI is down, community solar is down, utility scales down, all primarily because of the trade uh, issues and pricing, shipping, uh, but not residential. And that, there's just a, an incredible amount of pent up demand. And if you look at the earthquake yesterday in Northern California, 70,000 people offline like that over, I mean, instantaneously. All the stories, what are they focused on, by the way? This person's mom who's on oxygen. This person's dad who needs electricity to sustain their life. So I think that the story of the year for us right now is that despite all of the obstacles that would have prevented uh, growth, the residential sector is is actually growing and at record numbers. And imagine what it's going to do next year when, when installers are able to add on through partners like Goodleap, heat pumps. They have financing the electrification of the home, as you recently par- uh, posted about, Mike, is going to go gangbusters. And I think that residential electrification is the container within which solar plus storage is just going to go gangbusters for the next three to five years. Uh, and I think that was a really, really big story for 2022. The hey,
1: last ahead, dude, we, we, one. We, yeah, we go got yeah, your third one quick,
0: because uh, we're sort yeah. we're of the way in. That's, so the last one is, I apologize, uh, the. I'll take a, a page out of Tim's book. It's not something that's growing um, or popular, but it's something that is going to grow and be very unpopular. I don't know if you guys saw the, uh, the utility dive. I think it was a utility dive article about Ovengrid backpedaling on their 1.2-megawatt Commonwealth uh, offshore wind farm at 72 megawatt hours of PPA. They basically said it's no longer viable because of inflation and other economic disruptions. Eversource Energy, National Grid, and uh, Unitil refused to renegotiate the 1. Mm-hmm. 1. 1.2 gigawatt PPA. Um, so I think that this is the first shot across the bow. I think that we're actually going to see more big PPAs getting reneged because they simply don't make economic sense in the current inflation uh, environment. And they're, they're going to have – we're going to have to figure out what happens with those, with those projects.
1: Do we have Jess Porter uh, by audio only? I think we do. No. All right.
0: All right. Nope. Uh, just dropped off. Do,
1: all right. I'm going to do your, your, I'll do a quick three here. So one, I think uh, the, the, you're seeing real time uh, you're seeing two real time losses of messaging control. One is that the solar industry, the residential installation installation part in California, losing that net metering thing is the slowest car crash. Um, that's we've seen in a decade like that. W- you saw the wheel starting to spin and it led into a ditch and it's, it's not good, and we could have avoided that, I think, as an industry, if we had been a little bit more proactive at calling uh, nonsense on on, um, on the arguments against us. Number two, I think, is watching ESG get rebranded as woke capitalism. The fundamental fact is ESG, when properly defined, produces better returns for companies. It's just a financial thing. So it's kind of interesting watching politicians from the right argue against economic sense. I think that's kind of important. The third is the growth the growth of... Uh, Pro fossil front groups that is worth paying attention to. The New York Times did a big piece on the Texas policy, Texas Public Policy Foundation. Read that. Those guys are coming for you. All right, lightning round. <clears throat> we talked uh, on the stage in Anaheim. Have half a dozen constraints facing clean tech growth. So lightning round, two part question. One, what is the potential? Sorry, what is the percentage of the IRA's pollution reduction potential <clears throat> that will eventually be fulfilled? Say within five years what is that percentage and why tim montague
2: i don't like this question i i you know I, I don't really have a crystal ball supply chain is an expression that i said more in 2022 than any other year in my life and that's been painful it's clear that we have the technology we we have the, the people power, actually, if we would educate our youngsters that there's this thing called the trades, you can become an electrician and make $100,000 a year without going to college. Um, and will the Republicans try to slow it down? Okay, yeah, maybe. But for the most part, this plays well across the aisle. Um, red states are states where clean energy is actually going gangbusters. And, and so... I'm I'm quite optimistic about Ira I, th- I I would say 90%. All right, Nico Johnson, percentage and why?
0: I will not say 90. I'll say uh party lines 50% because that's about what'll be agreed to uh be released based on how the house is controlled. <laughs> Julia Piper
4: so I looked at this not based on pollution, but dollars spent. And I'm going to say one hundred and fifty percent in that oh. the actual Congressional Budget Office outlook for IRA spending is three hundred and seventy million or billion. But. Credit Suisse had its own report that actually pegged that at 800 billion dollars because they think that the CBO undervalued how much the tax credits will be used over a 10-year wow. period. So the supply chain issues we're looking at now, in theory, those will get worked out as we truly recover from the pandemic. So if you're looking 2024, 25, 26, I think we'd actually see that the projections for dollars deployed are actually even higher than we're considering today.
3: All right, am I up next? I think yes, we lock, lost. Dude, Mike. I think Mike froze oh, for a second. Mike
4: froze. I was like, I know I, I stunned you with that profound thought, but yeah, no. like, go John,
3: go John. By the way, he said your name, Julia, so he, he's not consistent.
4: Oh, he's coming back.
3: So anyway, uh, I would say sixty percent. Uh, three three hundred seventy billion dollars is a lot of money, and you know Julia's point or podcast, formerly known as eight hundred billion. You know, multiply that by two. That's a that's one point six you know trillion. If I did the math right, so. That's just a lot of money going into innovation. And so I think we're going to see big necessary changes that advances renewables and overcome some of these, uh, you know, potential uh, constraints, if you will. You know, and uh, that's just sheer, you know, rocket fuel for innovation. So I think it'll be very successful because of the amount of firepower that's behind it.
2: I love Julia's comment about onshoring manufacturing. I mean, we already see how that's blowing up, right, with battery factories and solar panel factories across the U.S.
3: Yeah, for sure. You're going to see a lot more um, stuff coming, coming back.
4: And let me just add that we talk about the politics of this. Tax credits, which make up the bulk of what the Inflation Reduction Act is, have been renewed and extended on a bipartisan basis for decades at this point. So, I don't think that core fundamental element can be really challenged in the way that, you know, House Republicans can have investigations now. They can bring down the heads of the EPA and the Department of Energy to look at specific agency spending, like maybe the Loan Programs Office. But the bulk of the spending in dollars is actually in tax credits. And that's much harder for anyone to tack on a political basis. And that's why I'm kind of bullish on, I think, over a decade period, we could see a lot of the benefits actually be
3: realized. Somebody will have to write some software. Maybe I'll do it in my spare time to, you know, streamline the interconnection process because that's going to be a big problem. You know, that yeah. that that that's Amen. a true constraint. But you just I, I think when you really peer into the operational aspects of that, it's it's just people, you know, it's people and processes that are arcane and weren't prepared for this level of you know investment. So if, if technology can can help with that. I think that'll be an innovation to increase the footprint.
0: Hey, I know you are a savvy listener. Heck, you're listening to Suncast. And you've probably, as a result, heard of a little company called SunGrow. If you're not using SunGrow inverters on your projects, I would love to better understand why. They are the inverter of choice for many of the EPCs that I know. SunGrow is the number one in gigawatts deployed. They've got the top bankability in the industry. Hexolve uses them for the majority of their projects. And you may not even know, but SunGrow has the largest R&D team in the power electronics industry. These three key points alone have convinced most of the major U.S. developers to prefer SunGrow. They now experience a diversified supply chain, local service team, patented containerized product, all with their seamless, pain-free commissioning. Look, imitation is the highest form of flattery. So why spend all of your cycles on what inverter to use when the largest EPC in the land has already done the heavy lifting for you? You can have their same experience for your projects. See how at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. Hey family, one quick reminder here that if you haven't yet joined Resource Labs, you are missing out. It is our outstanding community. It's the evolution of Suncast, moving from presentations, you listening to us talk, to conversations, our community involved in conversations as varied as Powering Australia, to Green Hydrogen, to Crypto and so many other things. Our newsroom is full of great insights. The main chat and even our RE Plus where to party at channel have been popping off. We've got more than 100 folks enjoying the community and I would invite you in. You can do that at mysuncast.com forward slash community. Come see how Resource Labs can help you grow your influence, impact, and income. See you inside.
1: All right, next question bnaf recently said to meet police reduction targets we have to change our current investment ratio right now it's 90 cents invested for in clean energy for every one dollar invested in fossil fuels they say it's got to go to a four to one ratio based on your conversations and industry insider knowledge where would you suggest that fourfold investment be directed so if it's there where should it go is there a technology or vertical play that would give the most leverage to reaching these goals anyone
0: you know i'm gonna i'm gonna go out on uh, a limb here and say that we have a lot of existing infrastructure that is not being utilized yeah. properly in the energy transition i'll point to uh, someone that mike and i have both um uh, that mike introduced me to a guy named michael orshan there's a company called breeze that is looking at all of the um uh, all the oil and gas uh, pipelines, right? Um, I mean, everything from 18 inches up that is underutilized and will increasingly be so as we move away from natural gas and as we move away from um, using these pipelines. A lot of folks are thinking about how to use it for um, things like hydrogen, but frankly, retrofitting existing pipelines for hydrogen is costly and problematic. And uh, there are simple, (laughs) novel technologies, not so simple, but novel technologies that could accomplish um, scale that actually give us um, an incredible amount of of capacity to use existing infrastructure, and I think that as an industry, we are focused on like let's go build solar and wind plants john not John is obviously looking at how do we complement that and I think one way to complement it as well uh, that is not getting enough investment is what about the existing infrastructure that can be retrofitted in some way to be utilized for renewable as as a renewable asset or in some way renewable. <clears throat>
1: It's Nico, it's an interesting point because I'll, I'll tell you, we were just talking about in a staff meeting here a couple of days ago, if we're going to see the clean energy transition happen at a pace that staves off the worst of global climate destruction, we're going to have to have sinners leave the sinning lifestyle, if you will, and move into you know, uh, being part of the solution, going from part of the problem, part of the solution. And the art and the science here is going to be figuring out how sincere they are at any given time. You know, ExxonMobil, you pretty much know that their their commitment to sustainability goes, stops at the greenwashing ad fee. I think when you go to like a Shell, to a Total, you know, and there's a lot of utilities that are like do, buying massive amounts of clean energy, and they were You know, 15 years ago, they were buying massive amounts of coal. So I think you're seeing real change in economics that are attracting even some of the previously implacable folks. The company you talked about, Breeze, uh, disclosure, I'm on the the board of advisors. These guys want to use idle oil and gas pipelines as wires, basically, because you don't have to build in any transmission. Wires, you can just ship compressed air through. You compress the air through renewable energy. You store it for 40 days, ship it. It's all there. So it's it's there's. I think one of the cool things about working in clean energy is you rub you rub elbows with these people who have like these brilliant solutions. Like, see this thing hiding over here? We could repurpose it for X. It's really. It's I think it's quite interesting.
2: Any other Literally on- put wires in those pipes. There's there's a lot of assets underground that no, will be strange. stranded. What we need to do is is create lots of high voltage DC, which works well underground. Check out episode 99 with Jay Kaspari, now at the DOE. Uh, Apparently, high-voltage AC doesn't work so well underground for some obtuse physical reason, which is above my pay grade. But HVDC, if you go to China, you see that they're building a massive HVDC grid. We are not doing that here in the U.S. We have some little experiments going on the West Coast, but it's much more efficient, like 40% more efficient. Um, So anyway…
4: Well, I could actually maybe piggyback on what Nico was saying, because I was going to say something similar. Um, There's actually a program enabled by the Inflation Reduction Act called the Section 1706 Program for the Department of Energy that gives the loan program's office $5 billion in actual dollar amount, but $250 billion in authority to lend out uh, to utilities and other market players to revitalize old fossil fuel polluting infrastructure and use those facilities and sites to deploy cleaner energy solutions. And that could be reforming a fossil fuel plant to decarbonize or a whole new type of clean energy project. But it's actually $250 billion from the government now to facilitate that. And that's not necessarily for fossil fuel companies, although maybe there'll be participants, but Uh, the Edison Electric Institute and the utilities themselves were particularly excited about this because it can be hard to get capital to make those transitions. And this will be good for ratepayers because they won't have to pay off that existing asset for decades to come as it just languishes over time. They can upgrade it, revitalize it, pay off that initial debt faster. So that's a really exciting program, I think. And we could see more private capital step in as the public capital comes in. I want to stir the pot quickly, though, and say, Tim, you won't love this, but Nuclear power has been one of the largest recipients of investor funding in the last five years. It's outpaced all venture capital funding over the last five years for the nuclear power sector, including the fast growing clean tech sector. So whether or not that materializes into a real industry, I'm with you. There's, we got to. Coke and prod that a little bit. There
2: is going to be a lot of blood on that floor.
4: <clears throat> well, well, the government is also supporting this with demonstration projects they're funding, and you can actually see some communities being really excited about the revitalization opportunity that these small modular reactors could bring to their towns. So I'm a little. I think the jury's out on and where how this quickly goes. can they build those SMRs. I, I hope live? they don't. Yeah,
0: I how hope quickly. they don't become as disenfranchised <laughs> as my uh, my compatriots in South Carolina who are burdening a th- uh, bearing a 13 billion dollar yes. tax burden. Exactly. Correct.
4: Different technology, I will say, but yeah, I think it's not that different. How- that's the, yeah, that's yeah. the thing.
2: They have tricked you into thinking it is different, and it is not.
0: But I think we should move along, though. We've probably gone,
2: <laughs> Julia, what Tim is trying to indicate is that he is
1: afraid you're one of the nuclear bros that's going to swarm. Oh. <laughs> no, no.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I honestly really have- what, just <laughs> seeing, I know Montague, and I, I'm just giving you the Montague manual, and it's on page 37. This behavior indicates a, a subtle worrying. You're gonna, you're gonna be swarming
4: on yeah. one. Like, the, the, the nuclear. One time time?
1: Bring it on! Time. I've
2: been studying nuclear since I was 11 years old at the kitchen uh, table, fighting whip in southern New Mexico. Bring it on, bro! <laughs> I think totally. just-
4: I think I am not uh, in any particular camp on this. Whatever the best resources are, based on the science, is what we got to go with. <laughs>
3: Mr. Bell is there. Where should this? Well, I, uh, say, I think what we just discovered is the reason Julia's leaving podcasting is because she's going to turn into a, into a nuclear <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> bro. That, that
1: listen, if there's like some quiet holiday announcement between Christmas and New Year, Piper, on your LinkedIn page, like you're, I've gone to work for the NEI, now we're <laughs> never going to know. Okay, we're just putting a is energy Solutions, I'm a
4: jam. We're,
1: we're yeah. putting a flash. We're putting a flashlight on you. Move. We're gonna know. All right.
3: This organization Mike, is just curtailment mitigation. You know, you have you know massive uh, connection queues, as I talked about nine nine hundred thirty gigawatts, forty two gigawatt 400, 420 gigawatts of storage. I think, awaiting to 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 connect. So that's just a recipe for massive amounts of wasted energy. And so solutions to that um, obviously include things that I'll be biased to present, which is flexible data centers. But there are other things like um, AI and software being used to use predictive methods to understand where that congestion will occur and then work with um, existing loads uh, in a software fashion to turn them into, uh, you know, deployable assets. I think we're going to see a lot more of that uh Science and technology incorporated into the intelligence of the grid. And I think the other is just uh, workforce development. I think uh, we need a lot more people in the clean energy industry, a lot more. And um, finding a way to scale that, you know, creating mechanisms for people to receive advanced training. Um, start you know new apprentices apprenticeship programs for people to you know get involved in the in the clean tech space, I think will be exciting. And also drawing in people from outside the industry, like uh, I was, but it's becoming harder for me to say that. <laughs> I'm not a clean tech person anymore. And uh, bringing them into the industry to to help out and bring lateral thinking to the space. So workforce development, I think is the next sort of key vertical play.
1: And I'll tell you another one that's going to be a little bit um, unusual here. I'll tell you, it's biochar.
4: Hmm.
1: Probably nobody's heard of this, or maybe you might've heard of this. This is, um, as a former client of mine explained, this is technology invented by Brazilian housewives a thousand years ago. So basically they figured out a way, um, and native people in the Amazonian basin figured out a way to burn their waste while buried. So in a low oxygen environment, it makes super carbon waste soil. And Mm. if you think about the massive, the massive uh, dead zones we have, it's largely agricultural waste being washed off poorly, you know, excessively tilled surfaces into waterways, washing out to the mouths of rivers, into the ocean, creating dead zones. So you got, you know, here where I live, there's a huge poultry industry in the Delmarva Peninsula, tons of waste, Eastern North Carolina, Huge CAFOs with, you know, basically you have you have the equivalent of Mexico City in eastern North Carolina with nowhere for the waste to go because you have uh, hogs that they equate to that population of humans. If we took that, figure out how to use agricultural waste, burn it in a way that produced highly usable soil, you would soak up amazing amounts of carbon. And it's kind of like the dumb, simple thing right in front of us they could fund and i think it would it would produce some massive benefits so for whatever it's worth okay um new york times reported as i noted the texas public public policy foundation is carrying water for the fossil fuel lobby ray locker the checks and Balances project is blogged in kevin martis's work uh to close the, the midwest to renewables michael thomas doing some very exciting reporting on twitter on martis and then a guy named john Droz. what is your take on the impact of these fossil fuel funded front uh, front groups and operatives. Are they going to they gonna slow clean energy transition down or no?
2: Any it's thoughts? a lot easier to slow stuff down or break it, as we saw with January 6, 2021, right? And that is a real uh, Achilles heel for the clean energy transition that the fossil companies fully are aware of and are leveraging out the wazoo. They, They have cast a lot of shade on the clean energy transition, saying that, you know, wind farms cause cancer and just crazy nut job ideas like that. Right. And and they've put this fear in America that somehow we're stepping into this very uncertain, scary future by making the clean energy transition, which is the complete opposite. Um, I just want to point out, you know, that we could do it. Saul Griffith has pointed this out right and and check out his book electrify awesome book uh, super smart dude in 15 years we could fully make the clean energy transition create two, 25 million jobs okay that's 10% of our of our workforce and save consumers $1000 a year so it's and and not only talk about a safer healthier future for humanity so yes, we need to be very, very, very concerned, especially once you put this AI in their hands, which makes them the savviest communicators on earth. Um, it's, it's a very uncertain future. Any other thoughts? Maybe else?
3: Yeah, I'd say, you know, climate deniers like, uh, uh, John Dross, is that how you pronounce it? You know, he's probably un- a, a, a threat. Uh, I think the work that he's been doing is a real, in- has a real impact on innovation and, and progress and, um, I think we saw uh, that with his influence on um, blocking some of the uh, climate policy in North Carolina and beyond. So it'd be a mistake to just brush them off. We Really got to pay attention to those folks. They do have influence. But ultimately, I think they're uh, already, you know, I think over the last uh, two years, we've seen a tremendous shift in people waking up. Potential of renewable energy. Um, I think the, the world is really moving in the opposite direction of the of the, of the John Drosses, you know, um, and I think it's moving us all toward renewable energy. I like to say we're all sitting in the back of a fast-moving Tesla, and I think the driver might be an AI. Another version driving, and renewable energy is you know domination is inevitable if we can only solve the uh, the wasted energy problem.
4: Yeah, I'll just chime in as well. I think we're going to have to get used to building things in America again. I feel like it's a common refrain. People want to revitalize communities, but it's going to take a change of perspective. And I actually think this is not a a right thing or a left thing. I see it across the board. There are actual concerns about protecting, for instance, indigenous land, about protecting species. We have some real questions and work to do, frankly. I think it's all solvable, but we have to get broad buy-in that we need to build things again in America. And let's not pretend that's going to be easy on any side of the aisle or any particular community. I actually think it's a very local issue. And so the industry now has to Act like a sophisticated industry and build those relationships with local leaders make sure we're getting adequate stakeholder input that's the only way to get people to be excited about a project is to do that legwork and not think we can kind of come over the top and just put down a bunch of poles and wires and solar panels and you know wind turbines so i hope the industry will will do that stakeholder work so i think that's the only effective way to kind of combat some of the misinformation is to actually build a genuine grassroots movement that embraces the potential our industry has to offer <laughs> All right, there's
1: yeah. a new terrible decision from the U.S. Anyone interviewed guests who brought some interesting views on this? And if so, what were your takeaways?
0: Yeah, <clears throat> I wouldn't say I've interviewed a guest uh, specifically on this show, but I've had lots of conversations having come from uh, formerly working at Trina, <laughs> um, ten you know, now almost 10 years ago, but um, – I won't quote who specifically uh, said it, um, but I'll read the message that I was given on WhatsApp, uh, which is it will have minimal impact. The reason for the constrained supply is the huge backlog form, uh, from Long G, Jinko, and Trina. People like to point to the AD CBD as the culprit, though. The UFLPA and COVID FME are the real reason. So it's, uh, that's someone who runs a major global module manufacturer. Uh, Just I I think that nobody is going to say that as a guest on a podcast specifically as a named guest, Um, but there doesn't seem to be a slowdown. Um, If anything, it's going to help help accelerate the industry now because there's clarity around it and people don't have uncertainty and there are easy ways around it. In all, in all all situations.
2: Mike, I missed the first part of the question. Was it supply chain or what was the first part? (laughs) The new tariff
1: decision, Tim. Have you interviewed anybody Um, who's come on and had interesting views on that? All right. Same question for the California NEM decision. Julia, I am looking for you to (laughs) give us some thoughts on that, given where you sit and work.
4: Oh, gosh, I'm looking forward to uh, getting together with all the folks who worked on this over the year. I think we're going to have a a, a happy hour in January to at least not celebrate, but kind of pour out our our sorrows here. Um, But look, so California net metering, as people may know, we are shifting pretty rapidly as of next April to a net billing structure, which means net metering is effectively gone in California. And the export credit that customers receive for their excess solar power will decline substantially from around 30 cents to around, six or seven cents starting next April. So that's going to be a transition. But as I said at the top of the show, I think this does start, it'll be a painful couple of years, but starts to prompt new questions around new business models. How can we self-consume more as individual or and storage customers, using power when it's beneficial to the grid, helping avoid those blackouts in California that are really dangerous and deadly. So I think it'll be a new charge for the distributed energy sector to figure out how they can play in this environment. Uh, the benefits is that we did not um, have a $60 per month flat fee added to solar customers that would have truly just I think, had a decimating effect on the largest solar industry in, in the country, in the world. And NEM1 and NEM2 customers have been protected. So I don't want to be all doom and gloom. It was a big, busy year. A lot of stakeholders weighed in, including Governor Newsom, who I think really helped the industry at the end of the day get to a better conclusion here. It's not everything we wanted. Um, but I think the best companies now will figure out how to adapt to this new environment, Um so that's kind of where I'll leave that. I could do a whole other podcast on the ins and outs, but I think the industry rallied in a big way. And we have work to do to build more relationships with politicians in the state, show the value of our industry. I think that was really missing. The the refrain that this industry is bad, um, I think has resonated among decision makers, even though I don't see it resonating among the population in California, people are very supportive of it. But in the political community, we have to show our value, I think a little bit more. So I hope we can continue to work on that in the months and years ahead.
1: You no, know, Julia. It's interesting. Um, as in, I think, three days before the decision came down, I saw in my news feed a uh, uh, trends in who's buying solar for their roofs, and the average household income was coming down a lot. So mm-hmm. more low income people were buying solar, surely through no money down solar leasing. But the point is, <clears throat> the market is accommodating itself to take in more customers. And if 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 these if these elected officials had just left things alone, it would have gone to a very positive place and, and but it also would have undercut the argument utilities wanted to make in order to um stop rooftop solar. So I, it's... it's um,
4: And and they'll also add also loans. As Goodly, we're a loan provider and our numbers are even better than that Berkeley National Lab report. It's about a year old data. By the time they release it, they use 2021 numbers. So as of today in our portfolio, we're 15% even higher. So it's more like 50% of our customers make less than $100,000 or even 80% of area median income. So massive shift to democratizing of solar. And I do hope that we can continue that because... This change of policy will make that harder until the industry is able to adapt. And I think that's going to be a challenge for the next year and a half or two years.
2: And this is going to drive massive adoption of of home batteries. Uh, The best way to fight back against M3 is to install a battery with your solar. The solar, uh, the battery collects the extra energy from the solar during the middle of the day, and then you leverage that in the evening. And you don't worry about net metering so much, and it still pencils and it's good for consumers and it's good for the environment. So, yeah, NEM3 is a bummer for solar. I'm not going to deny it. Uh, just like the tariffs are a bit of a bummer, the tariffs aren't as bad. Uh, John Weaver and I, my co-host, did talk about the tariffs on the on the weekly news show. So check that out, cleanpowerhour.com. <sighs>
1: Uh, I'll leave you leave this topic with this thought here. You know, there's actually a name for the business practice where you demand people pay you to stop using their product. It's often seen in movies based in John's hometown. Right. With uh, just saying, I I believe believe the term is loan sharking. I mean, I just I think that's, you know, or protection money. You're not going to and I can use my protection services, so pay me so nothing bad happens to you. I love this stuff. All right. Uh, given the transition to a Republican House and the lack of a red wave, what are your thoughts about how clean energy did in November elections? And do you have a clean energy hero you think deserves some credit for these electoral outcomes? Anybody, anywhere, think they is a clean energy hero emerging out of the elections?
4: Yes, the Environmental Voter Project, which is run by Nathaniel Stinnett, they do a great job of mobilizing environmental voters, not with any particular agenda for which politician to support, but just getting them to show up at the polls is a big, untapped, energized group of voters, but sometimes just our you know, don't show up and don't get out the vote. So they do a great job of mobilizing them. And Caroline Spears at Climate Cabinet, they do a great job of coming up with climate platforms for local politicians, state level, and even I think federal too, of helping them get up to speed on climate issues so that those leaders integrate climate, clean energy into their policies and are educated if and when they get elected. So I think those are some real winners. I'm not sure that climate and clean energy played out this election in the way we might have thought it. We just saw the largest clean energy bill passed in U.S. history. And yet polling shows the vast majority of voters never saw an Inflation Reduction Act ad for or against. Republicans didn't really campaign against it. Democrats didn't really campaign on it. They focused more on the drug savings than on the clean energy element. And I think that's interesting because it could signal maybe this is.
3: Whoops.
0: No, Julie, we lost you. But, sorry, um, Julie. What was it? Maybe I it wonder if that off. means
4: that we've progressed beyond you know pitting folks together on clean energy. It's just not a winning issue one way or the other. Mm-hmm. But time will tell. All right,
3: uh, Maybe both sides have just agreed to disagree and just mm-hmm. look at it as more of an economic driver for the for the country. Right. I think you know to some extent. I was I was kind of worried about the the outcome because. I felt we might get a reversal on all of this, but instead, I think from my read, you know, the headlines really described this to some extent around as, as a green wave, you know, people were mm-hmm. embracing of this um, of this potential and its potential to uh, drive the creation of jobs and innovation. Um, I know in my home state, New York, we passed a $4 billion, give or take, uh, clean water, clean air and, and green jobs uh, act. Uh, it was driven by the former governor and the new governor uh wholeheartedly embraces it and you know the whole focus is is, is to drive uh the the state to be more uh green and uh i think we're going to see that uh around the country there were some sort of state level um reelections that were in the face of any renewable efforts i think uh you know, Minnesota, uh, Michigan, North Carolina, Wisconsin, a lot, lot, uh, lot of fighting there uh, on the ground. Um, so there's no one person to name. But I think as a country, you know, I, I think I'm proud uh, to say that we finally passed uh, a national bill that's going to set the country up for a major transformation in our energy policy and make us more resilient and more sustainable.
1: And because I can't let Tim Montague get all the haters on LinkedIn, I'm going to say, I think the clean energy hero is Joe Biden. I got to say, like the guy is just like, you can, Amen. People, say what they, people can say what they want to about, about um, how clearly he speaks his age, but the guy is just, he's just keeps on keeping on. and And like, he's got, I think he's, I think he's played Putin like a fiddle. Mm-hmm. I think he's uh, I think he's done it in a way that's like really accelerated clean energy trends around the globe, intentionally or not. And I think he, you know, he, I don't know that he's the most adroit politician I've ever seen, but you you got to look at what he did and how he, what he, what was pulled off under his uh, tenure. And to me, I think it's, uh, I, I think Jennifer Rubin of the Washington Post is right. I think he's going to be a very significant president.
3: So, you know, it's a, it's a big deal.
1: you
3: Let's just be yeah. kidding. He's old. The guy's like, he's, got, he's almost 100. We should put him on some, you know, give him some clips on some Peloton, some doing some push ups or something, you know, just to just to make us think twice about whether he's really that old, you know.
1: Ron Klein, hey, I don't know if John will take the job at the White House. <laughs> off. I get back to you on that? Okay, thanks.
3: I'll take the job. John,
1: as, I'll talk yeah, <laughs> actually. All right. Uh, we are four minutes left here. So, I want to try a new feature here, darts and laurels. New darts, new laurels. Anybody like has said something, done something you think deserves a particular shout out? Or is there someone doing something that needs a, a little bit of a compassionate kick in the pants? I'll
0: jump, I'll jump in real quick on, um, on behalf of Josh Porter, our buddy at SolarCoaster, who is going through a storm right now in Hawaii and couldn't, couldn't stay connected. Uh, he WhatsApped me his answer to this question. So Josh says, Europeans in general are the unforced error of linking the price of electricity to the price of natural gas. Um, mm. And he referenced in all of his other answers that he also WhatsApped me in the longest WhatsApp message I've ever received uh, the, <laughs> a reference to a Princeton decarb study that I'll um, I'll ask him to post on LinkedIn later. Brent uh, Alder for and Jesse Jenkins postdoc on the decarb study of PJM grid and the IRA impact over their time periods. So uh, I'll ask Josh to go ahead and post that up. Uh, uh, I don't particularly have a question, an answer this question so i thought i would just bring josh's voice well i'll
2: throw i'll throw a dart and a laurel at elon musk uh he did drive the electrification of transportation in this country with uh making tesla a substantive manufacturer of evs you know rivian in my backyard here in central illinois is really struggling to scale manufacturing of their lovely suv and pickup truck which i think are really beautiful but they're expensive and they're only trickling off that factory floor. Um, you know, 80 percent, something like that of new new EV sales in the U.S. are Tesla's. And it's no accident. Um, meanwhile, he has gone to crazy town. And I think he should get off of Twitter and 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 stop running Twitter and focus on what's important, like going to Mars and electrifying transportation.
0: Thankfully, he's agreed to do that. And also, if you've driven any other electric, not Tesla, lately, you know that Tesla is still Eons ahead of every other electric. Uh, I don't know. EV Hyundai.
2: Hyundai network. seems to be one to one to watch. Uh, not and, networks, and they Not are, by they're, networks. They're climbing. They're climbing in. Well, but but they're climbing in the ranks. And in terms of curb appeal and price point, they are they are definitely a player to I watch. I prefer the
0: Kia version. But you're right. I mean, I'm referring specifically to the pain of every non-Tesla electric car owner when <laughs> it comes to EV charging on any trip longer than thirty right. miles.
2: Yep. Yeah, just follow John. Uh, John Weaver. He he'll tell the tell the <laughs> truth about that.
0: Uh, Mike, a lot of
3: uh, entrepreneurs on our show, I think, deserve a shout out to Laurel. Um, you know, anyone who's up for the challenge ahead of uh, helping us uh, accelerate getting renewables to become a, a global superpower and need a standing ovation. Uh, ben Sorkin. He's uh, he founded a company called Flux Marine. And uh, they're building electric motors for you know the marine world. So thank Tesla for boats. Uh, we spoke to Sean Patrick, who founded Pink Things. It's a company that's deploying sensors to the grid to increase the accuracy and efficiency of uh, data collection and just you know fighting fighting the fight using more data and making it more more accessible. Um, we love talking to Catherine McLean, who founded Dylan Green. It's a here here you, you good people. She's fantastic. She's she has a great agency on the mission to just bring more diverse, um, intersexual talent to the clean tech space. We need a lot more diversity in order to drive more innovation in the space. Um, I had heard of Lee Taylor. I've, I've seen him speak many times. He's the CEO Pre-Surity. of ReSurety, the risk management firm that's supported over 7,000 megawatts of renewable energy generation capacity and counts many of the world's largest and probably most sophisticated companies as its clients and partners um, just really novel solutions there he's also come up with this new concept of you know local marginal pricing so you can see uh local marginal emissions so you can see sort of in your location what's the mix of you know electrons in that location just so many more entrepreneurs that i'd love to thank but those are the ones that were uh great additions to our show and uh, really enjoyed talking to them
1: all right miss piper you're exiting podcasting. You get to exit right. the show. Uh, exit, exit this episode with uh, maybe last thoughts. You got any darts or laurels you want to hand out?
4: Yeah, hopefully my computer keeps up here. Uh, it's ready for holiday vacations. Um, so let's see. I actually have one for Governor Newsom. I know sticking with the California theme, we talked about NEM 3.0 and how that'll be a challenge. So I think that's a blow to our industry, but we also have to recognize that he and his team have done an incredible amount for the state. They just approved $54 billion in climate and clean energy spending from the California surplus over the last two years. The the state's going to have all new electric vehicles required starting in in 2035. It's a billion dollars for clean buildings. They've become even more aggressive with some of their intermediate climate goals in the state. Um, Twenty million dollars for streamlining residential solar permitting, was just passed by the legislature and signed by Newsom. So it's both my dart and my laurel to uh, say I think we could do more on distributed energy in the state, but also really want to say I'm proud to live there. And I think there's a lot of exciting opportunity and shout out to the staff at the California Public Utilities Commission, we may not like as an industry all of the decisions that come out, but I do know that that staff works really hard, including the governor's staff, people like Lauren Sanchez on his team who lead the climate portfolio. So I think as an industry, we got to remember, like we have wins and losses on the policy front, but the public servants, I think in the state do work really hard. So I would like to leave with a note of, of, you know, appreciation on that front, even though we didn't get everything we wanted on them.
1: All right. Well, my Laurel is going to go to, um, Julia Piper for doing awesome podcasting for several years. Uh. You, your voice, wa- seriously, your voice will be missed, and we want you to come back. Be back. Get yourself a platform.
0: Just, truly, truly, the truly the the post this week on LinkedIn that made me feel the most melancholy.
4: Um, Jim. Well, I hope yeah. folks check out Political Climate. We do have a great evergreen, you know, library of content. And I hope, you know, if anyone needs that content for any university courses or anything, that's the biggest win is when people spend their time with us and hopefully get careers in this sector as a result or what have you. So really appreciate you guys, you know, being supportive on it and, and letting me join you here and maybe even again in future.
1: Well, hey, Queen um, Techers, this is a wrap on the seventh Quarterly Clean Tech Podcasters Roundtable. We are delighted that you tuned in and listened. Thank you to all of our panelists. You guys are great. This is like the highlight of my quarter to do this. I have so much fun in these things. John, we're, we're glad you joined us. And uh, we may be um, knocking on your door. You passed the test. I got, got a message no, by some people. Are you guys Okay. If he needs to dress him up a little bit, you know, it's okay. But like have him back. Okay. So we'll, we'll a Great addition.
2: And let's, uh, let's get some choice rank voting going on on these questions. Okay. I'm not sure who wrote those questions, but we need some better questions.
0: <laughs> Hilarious. I want to also <laughs> take a moment to thank, I want to take a moment to thank Mike and his team for co-producing and putting this together for coming up with the questions for wrangling all of the folks throughout the year who join us and also, to uh, to the folks that are watching online right now, Chris Caldwell and uh, Michelle Hirenzim, among a few others, Rob Latimer, who were commenting on LinkedIn and YouTube. Thank you for tuning in. When we do these live, it's uh, it's awesome to get real time feedback. And uh, again, thanks, Mike, for for doing this for and with us.
1: Way well, and thank All you, right, Nico. Folks. Great. All right, y'all. Hey, thank you so much, everybody. You take care, and this one is a wrap.
0: Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Thank you for making it all the way through. I hope that it added value to your life, to your business, to your career, as I promised in the intro. Did it? Would you give us some feedback? Let us know. Mike Casey at TigerCom and I are both pretty active on LinkedIn. Pretty easy to find. But if you're having trouble finding it, you can just go to mysuncast.com, click on the episodes tab, find the show notes for this episode and follow us over. To Twitter and LinkedIn. Let us know how you think the show went. And join us for the next quarterly roundtable. We have not set the date yet for it, but it will be in March and it will be an excellent one. I already have some insight into some of the new folks that are going to join the lineup. It's going to be exciting. If you join our newsletter, which is also something you can easily do at mysuncast.com, well, that will ensure that you won't miss out on the twice-weekly content that we bring here on Suncast and also the heads-up that we give you when we have live broadcasts. In 2023, we are going to be doing at least one live broadcast per month. We have a lineup coming at you with customers that are already signed up to partner with us to bring you brand new content and exciting live broadcasts. In the new year i can't wait to tell you more about who they are thanks once again for giving us your attention and your time if you have not yet taken a chance i'd love it if you check out our sponsors sungrow and many others who have helped support this show by going to mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor you can check out their offers and click through to learn more about them and that's also where you can learn you could partner with us, as many other companies have and are doing, to bring your message to the thousands of clean tech champions and Solar Warriors who tune in each and every week. Many of you twice a week. Thank you for that. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the bat. Kia, Solar
1: Warriors.